Hello, this is the Barton Podcast. Barton stands for the Black, African and Asian Therapy Network. This podcast is for anyone who's interested in the internal psychological world from a race perspective. I'm Eugene Ellis. This is the second of five episodes where I'll be presenting talks that were given at the Barton Spring Seminar Series entitled Therapeutic Practice That Speak Across Cultures. You can subscribe to SoundCloud, where these podcasts are hosted, or subscribe to iTunes, or another podcast catcher of your choice, and get the episodes when they become available. Or we can let you know through the email list, which you can sign up to on the Barton website. In this episode of the podcast, Nazelo Nubem Lilo gives us an overview of a therapeutic approach and model of intervention she co-developed to support those who have experienced significant hardship and trauma called the Tree of Life. The Tree of Life approach speaks to people across cultures and engages families where other therapeutic approaches might be met with resistance. Nazello invites us to support our clients to break free from problem-saturated identities. Here then is Nazello. Good evening. Uh, It's it's lovely to be here and uh, thank you very much for uh, the invitation. I'm looking forward to a very uh, productive evening and uh, good conversations. Um, And so basically what I'm going to do is I'm just going to talk to you about the Tree of Life um, and give you some history because I think it's important to understand how it came about for you to understand how to work with it. I think that's a critical aspect of of the Tree of Life and I've become a a bit more passionate around sharing that history with people uh, because uh, it contributes significantly to keeping the fidelity of it and um, and upholding certain principles and values that shape the work. But I just want to talk to you about an experience I had in Zimbabwe uh, whilst I was working as a psychologist in a life skills camp program. Um, This was, um, let me say, 12 to 13 years ago um, when I was a young psychologist just out of university very excited about having completed my honors degree in psychology. So the Tree of Life, as we know it today, has its humble beginnings in the Matopos, um, where we had the life skills camp program for orphans and vulnerable children. So what was happening in Zimbabwe at the time, and in other parts of Southern Africa, was that there were a lot of people dying of HIV and AIDS. Um, access to antiretroviral treatment was very limited at the time. And so basically what it meant is having an HIV diagnosis was just really sort of a death sentence at the time. And so what we experienced was a lot of people dying due to HIV and AIDS and a lot of orphans starting to become you know, visible in our communities. So this was a very new thing to all of us. And you know, communities were very stretched, a lot of distress, children looking after sick parents, children suddenly losing mom and dad. And so a lot of pain and grief that's going on. And so this project here at the Masia camp then decided to put together a camp program 
that would invite orphaned children or children living with sick parents to come over the school holidays. We understand that children are distressed. What can we do to respond? And so the CAMP program was really about that. So the idea is that children would come and they're bused in during the school holiday. And um, when they come to camp, we wanted to give them what we used to term a peak experience. So we're saying that children had experienced, you know, being in a very low place, you know, dealing with all these difficulties. So this camp was going to provide a peak experience where they would have fun, laugh, and have an opportunity to separate from the day-to-day -day distress that they were experiencing back home. So uh, we had young camp counselors who most of them were also orphaned, uh, but they were sort of older and felt they wanted to contribute to the healing of you know, other children who were experiencing challenges. So these camp counselors would be trained as lay counselors, so sort of provided you very basic skills in counseling. Children would come to the camp, and have an opportunity to experience various activities that would stretch them. We would find entry points into talking about life and the challenges that they were facing. And so my role as a psychologist was that I needed to make sure that the youth counselors were trained to be able to hold this process. And so during the camp, the children would be divided into groups. Um, right from the beginning of the camp. And the purpose of the group is that they would have an opportunity to link up with other children with similar experiences, make friends, and then leading to our group counseling sessions. So right at the middle of the camp, we would then have sessions where we sit down with the children and begin to talk to them about their life experiences whether it be loss of parents, experiences of abuse, etc. So this would all be taking place in a group context supported by a, a lay counselor. So what we found was that during these group processes, things became extremely challenging. Our children were very distressed, and it was very, very difficult for them to talk about their experiences. So you would have a 10-day camp program where five days is spent building relationships, having fun, and there's a lot of excitement building up. And then suddenly, fifth day of camp, we have this day where we talk about the realities of children's lives back home. Now, we're talking about experiences that we ex we're facing back home, our losses, and what we are seeing in the community. And then our children start breaking down. And so this is very overwhelming for the camp counselor who's looking up to me, the psychologist, to say, how do we deal with this? Because clearly this is very difficult and the children are not coping. And also as counselors, we, you know, we're feeling it's overwhelming. We, we don't have the confidence uh, to get into the spaces because it's very difficult. And so it was very clear that something was going wrong. Because from that peak experience that we've tried to get to, all of a sudden the spirit just drops. And, uh, and this day became known in the camp as the day of doom. Because the whole camp would be shattered and, um, and the children would be very sad. 
And there was a lot of work that now needed to be done because it's also closer to children going back home. How to pick up and lift up the spirits again became really challenging for the youth counselor. So working in this context as a psychologist, I really felt challenged, you know, and incompetent and um, very disappointed that everything I seem to have learned in university is not working. What's going on? <laughs> you know, what's going on? And yeah, and so I kept asking myself, how do we do this? And the young counselors would come to me and say, Nazelo, you need to help us. And so it is with all this that one began to search for alternatives and to always be looking out for a different way of doing things. And so it was during that time that I was searching and trying to find a different way to support the children and the counselors and to support myself because I also felt very overwhelmed that I got to learn about narrative ideas. It is just to hear around um, issues of narrative. Now, what made it possible for me to step into narrative was the opportunity that I got involved in where I became part of a team of psychologists who had to produce um, a counseling approach or methodology that we were going to try to use with communities and families um, to help them to look after children who are distressed. Because we realized that bringing children to camp was a fantastic idea, but we were not quite reaching families. We were not reaching the community that was equally distressed. And we were very anxious about children leaving camp and having to go back to families that don't understand what their experience has been at camp and what they've gone through, but also how to continue to provide the support that we started. So we had this idea that we wanted to develop a methodology that allowed community to come together and talk about what was happening to the children and how they can be more responsive in terms of dealing with the issues of trauma and, um, and the struggles that children were going through. And so it is at that point that I came across the Tree of Life. It was an interesting tool for me. Um, and it was actually called the Tree of Life. So what happened with the person who was facilitating a process of developing this methodology, he spoke to us as psychologists and said, you know, I found an interesting tool which is going to allow us to engage in a storytelling approach exercise that will enable us to gather themes about things that are important in people's lives. Because when we go and work with communities, we want to have this understanding. What is it that communities value? What are the things that are important to them? And so if we try to use this, it's going to prepare us in terms of the conversations that we'll be having at community level. And so he introduced a very simple metaphor that was called the tree of life. And what I remember about it that drew me was the whole storytelling thing. Um, so it was quite simple. It had roots, it had a stem, a trunk, and it had leaves. We were going to use this metaphor to describe where we come from 
um, the things that are important in our lives and some of the hopes and dreams that we have. So the methodology was very simple and what I appreciated about it was how it got us talking about our own stories and who we are and just the sense of comfort that we had being able to relate to the metaphor in a way that was significant to all of us. And so I remember being excited about this and thought, this could work for the kids. Let me take it back to the camp. And so that is how the whole issue around the Tree of Life began. So this is just sort of a bit of the history around where I came across the Tree of Life and what then developed later on. So today, when I look at the Tree of Life and where we have come, for me, this methodology is an embodiment of the difficulties and the struggles that we've gone through, as well as the hopes and the breakthroughs that we have experienced working with children and communities affected by HIV and AIDS in our part of the world. The Tree of Life has opened new possibilities um, in working with children and communities, allowing us to work in ways that are culturally appropriate. And I'm going to be explaining all this as I go through the presentation. And so as I continue to explore alternative ways of working, I then learned about Michael White's work and use of stories in counseling. So a colleague of mine said, you seem to like this idea of stories. Why don't you look up Michael White's work? And, um, and so I did, I took his advice, and before I knew it, I was in a teaching block with Michael. I was introduced to a number of ideas which changed my therapeutic work forever. But I want to mention that the greatest gift that Michael gave me was the idea that I could question my work and I could approach what I do, how culturally appropriate and relevant is it for me. Because what I found is that a lot of the ideas that we'd been working with at the time had introduced us into believing that by simply talking to the children and listening to them to relate um, their stories of pain, we were helping them to heal. But our experience was totally different. It did not seem that we were taking them anywhere closer to healing. But rather, what we witnessed was a lot of distress. And so, when I listened to Michael talk about the importance of therapists positioning themselves, constantly questioning and being curious about what they do, is one of the best things that we can bring in, 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 in therapeutic practice. So that, for me, I think became a liberating discovery. Um, and it got me very excited. Because coming from college, I thought all I had to do was to remain enslaved to what I'd been taught. Um, and so I really found this refreshing. And I especially started to question issues of culture and, um, and how the methods and the work that I'd been using with the children in the communities that I was working with um, were appropriate. 
and how I could work in ways that um, were more meaningful to people and people could relate to and were not as stretching of people in terms of being um, outside sort of their thinking and their, their knowledges about life. And so um, when I met Michael, one of the things that I did was to invite him to come to the camp. Um, and he was fantastic. He agreed to come to be with the children at the camp. And, um, and during that time, he got to learn a lot about the work that we do. And we spend a lot of time in conversation around how you know, we could build the work um, in ways that were in line with our hopes and our aspirations for the children. And so this was really very significant in my journey um, as a therapist. So through Michael's uh, teaching, I began to appreciate um, the importance of seeing people who consult me as being equal partners and um, collaborators in seeking solutions to the problems of life. I think one of the major things that I realized is that I was experiencing a lot of burnout, also based on the notion that I was an expert, qualified, and therefore I had to have the answers to solve the problems of children and the people that I work with. Um, certainly, I experienced that a lot in my role as a supervisor for the lay counselors because they looked up to me a lot and it almost felt like I had to have this knowledge that I was, you know, taking down and making things work. And so I found Michael's work and ideas really liberating because I began to understand that uh, people are experts in their own lives and that people have got knowledge and skills. And, um, and that part of my quest and my work was to work with people in ways that they became connected, reconnected to their knowledges and skills that may have been lost due to hardships and to trauma and the difficulties that they'd experienced. A lot of the ways that we were working with were encouraging single storytelling. And this is just, you know, taking children through the problem story. So our focus in our work had been around trying to provide this cathartic experience where children would express these deep-seated emotions and then experience healing. But clearly, it wasn't working that way. So there was a lot of re-traumatization that was taking place, although it was unintentional, but the wailing and the distress that we observed got us thinking a lot around our practices and the whole issue around the hazards of single storytelling. It was really invigorating to understand that life is multi-storied and that there are second stories to people's lives and that the trauma story and the problem story is not the only story to be told about the lives of people who have gone through significant hardships. And so all these ideas really struck a chord for me. They got me excited about the idea that I could have conversations with children who had experienced so much loss and devastation, and devastation, but that I could step into other territories and talk to them about their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations for life. I could talk to them about the losses that they'd gone through without dwelling necessarily on what has been lost and the pain only, 
but also on the treasures and the good memories that they had, you know, of their parents and the wishes and the hopes that their parents had for their lives. And I think all this really began to give us new meaning. Um, it began to be encouraging for us in many ways. I also loved uh, Michael's notion that um, the problem is the problem. People are not the problem. You know, I think that, again, was exciting for me. Because so many times when you work with the kind of children that we, we work with, a lot of them felt that they were cursed. You know, because they had gone through so many losses. And so you move in one family, somebody dies, you've lost your parents, everybody that you move in with is dying. And suddenly this narrative around you being cursed and being damaged goods was something that a lot of the children were carrying around with them. And so working towards helping children to separate and to have experienced a distance um, from the problems of life, you know, from their own identity was also very significant in this work. One of my favorite things that I learned was the whole issue around narrative therapeutic journey. The idea that as therapists, we want to provide a counseling context that helps to transport people, move people, not just to move them emotionally, but to move them to a place of possibility, to have a sense of hope and continuity, and a sense that you know, there is something to look forward to in life. This is something that we totally <coughs> liked before introducing Tree of Life and, um, and some of uh, these ideas. A lot of the time there was a sense that people were stuck, the children were stuck, and the story of being an orphan, and the story of being a poor child. And so a sense of a lack of optimism and hope for the future was one of the biggest challenges um, that we were working with. And so I really loved the whole idea of therapeutic journeys and providing transport, moving people from the, what they know to what is possible to know about their lives, introducing curiosity and uh, excitement into therapeutic practice was really significant for me. Embracing culture and beginning to think about things that were relevant in my culture. Um, for a lot of the children who were coming into the camp, they felt that their lives could never be okay unless certain rituals had been done. All right, the cleansing rituals, um, different types of rituals that would allow them to be accepted into new families. You know, these are beliefs and values that are a big part of our culture and our identity. But looking at the Western ways of working, there is no way that these ideas are embraced. They have no place in Western thinking. And so having a sense that we could look into our culture and see what works for our children and begin to be creative around how we create counseling contexts that embrace people's beliefs and values became very significant. So I would like to say that having sort of learned all this, I then had the opportunity after Michael White and the Dalich team's visit to the camp to work with the Tree of Life 
in such a way that it, became, it was a methodology that would embrace all those learnings. Um, and so that was the challenge that I was given um, to say it's a beautiful metaphor. It allows us to tell our stories. But how could we then bring in and weave in all these new understandings that are comfortable for us, that are in line with our culture, into the methodology? So the tree of life, as it is today, embodies a lot of these ideas. Um, it's a four-part methodology. We'll be able to do that um, during the introduction training. But it has really tried to bring all these important aspects, all these lessons based on our history and our struggles um, into context. Central to the tree of life approach is supporting people who have faced hardships to break free from problem-saturated identities. It offers wonderful entry points into second story development. As I mentioned earlier that I found my previous work with children very dominated with the problem story. So we were struggling to separate from the dominant story. The story of suffering, the story of loss was a dominant theme in our work. But understanding that life is multi-storied and that there are second alternatives, there are second alternative stories to people's lives, we then brought all these ideas into the methodology such that it now allows for children to have a different story to talk about, a story about their roots, their culture, their values, their hopes, their dreams, their skills. This is not to say we do not acknowledge <coughs> that children have problems, but we understand that the children who come to us, particularly during the camp ex, you know, activities, as I've mentioned, were children who were very familiar with the dominant story very familiar because they live with it on a day-to-day -day basis. It defines their daily lives. And so it was exciting that we could provide a different story, a different experience for the children. Also, one of the things that the Tree of Life sets out to do is to populate children's lives with significant others exploring relationships and connections, the significant people that have loved them and continue to provide them with support. When children, I have found, are very distressed and life is hard, there's always a sense that no one cares and that I'm alone in this experience. I'm invisible. And so that's the kind of story that a lot of the children would bring to the camp. That they don't have anybody. You know, they leave, they have to face life on their own. And so through the Tree of Life, we engage in processes that allow us to talk about important relationships and significant others. Whether these relationships are people who are present or people who have died, it is important that we provide that sense of belonging 
and being connected to people who, who care. One of the things that got me excited also about the Tree of Life is the whole issue around safety. I began to understand the importance of safety within therapeutic practice. Um, so I've mentioned that we have alternative stories, but it does not dismiss the fact that, yes, people have suffered and people have gone through problems. But what I began to understand is this notion of creating islands of safety. To say, when people are going through very difficult times, we need to be careful how we talk about problems and how we introduce the problem story. Because sometimes when people are standing in a place where they feel that they are drowning, the best thing to do is to take them out of the water first, you know, and then begin to talk to them around circumstances that could lead to the sense of drowning. And so I learned that second stories of people's lives help to create islands of safety for people. Because what we do is we expand people's territories of identity. So my life is bigger than the problems that I'm facing or that I have experienced. I have other stories in my life. I have aspirations and I have hopes and dreams. And if I can stand on those second stories, if I can stand firmer, it makes it more possible for me to deal with the problem story. Because I have a certain view about my life which the dominant story cannot offer me. So dominant stories tend to drown people, to reinforce the idea that there is no hope and that people's lives are useless. And so I learned through doing this work that if we create islands of safety for people, we make it more possible for them to recover. And so they are no longer standing on the story of the problem, but they have another place, a safer place to stand on, which is in line with their hopes, their dreams, and their preferences in life. And so with the Tree of Life methodology, we do that very beautifully. One of the things that we start off by doing is to create that solid island. We talk about storms, we talk about problems, but we do that much later when we have a sense that people are firmly grounded on the second stories of their lives. So I've heard a lot around how people relate to the metaphor. I think today we have the Tree of Life working in over 20 countries. Um, and a lot of the time I hear people talk about how they easily relate to the metaphor. And for us, it was amazing because trees are such an important part of our culture. And so when you talk about a tree, to literally anybody in my region in Southern Africa, they can relate to trees. But also trees have got very significant cultural meanings for people. They represent life, you know, um, they bring hope, you know, they are a shelter for people. And therefore the metaphor really fits so well in terms of um, what we wanted to do to people, to give people hope and to give people life. And so I've learned over the years that working with ways that are culturally fitting is very important. 
um, a lot of the times, some of the ideas almost, you know, that we import, people experience them as an almost like a colonization of some kind, you know, robbing them of what they know and things that they're comfortable with and things that they understand bring about healing for them. And so it has been an amazing journey learning to bring issues of culture and he local healing practices um, into my work. Thank you for your presentation. <laughs> yeah. That was Nazelo Lilo talking about the Tree of Life methodology. If you want to know more about the Tree of Life, Nazello is running an introduction training on the 26th of May 2018 and an advanced training on the 16th and 17th of June 2018. To find out more about Barton or Nazello's training, please visit us at our website www.baatn.org.uk and whilst you're there, you can also leave your thoughts on the Barton podcast page. Join me for the fourth spring seminar presentation in the next podcast, where Samita Thoreau will be talking about unconscious bias. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>